You're listening to Well Said, where customer success leaders share their best advice on a single topic in around five minutes. This is our second episode with Dave Jackson, Chief Customer Officer at Deep Crawl, and we're continuing our conversation about ownership as an outdated management concept. You said early on that a lot of times organizations have silos, meaning the CEO is not being thoughtful about org structure and is not being thoughtful about architecture. In those cases, do you have specific advice for senior executives who want to create this alignment, but it doesn't exist because of lack of CEO attention? Yeah. So you do three things, I think, as a CEO. And I only work with B2B SaaS companies, Chris, so I'm going to put that framework around it. Number one is you get crystal clear about who your chosen customers are, not just what companies you serve, but the individuals within within those companies. I'm writing a book at the moment on on customer success. And one of the chapters is customer success is not about customers. It's about people. So you build this really deep understanding, call it ideal customer profile, but it's your target companies, but also much more the target individuals and what their needs and expectations are, how they're measured. So that's part one. Part two is you then start to understand what their needs and challenges are across one single entire life cycle. Not not a sales process, not a marketing process, not a CS process, not a pro services process, not none of those. One customer journey in which every part is written from the outside in. Every stage is described by what the customer or prospect at that stage is trying to achieve and how you can help them. And the third is you then take that those two pieces and you translate that to understanding of how do we deliver value at each of these pieces? So ideal customer profile, single customer journey, detailed value, I call it a value framework. And I think once you've got those three pieces, that is your architecture. If there's a fourth piece, it's, it's around metrics. And I'm a great believer, I do some work with, with another company at the moment. And I was asked about Compland, and I said to the CEO, I would do, I would put everybody on the same comp plan, on the same bonus. It would be either net revenue retention or preferably, if you're mature enough and understand it well enough, customer lifetime value to CAC ratio. Because both of those bring in the whole of the organization. They force you to think about how can we make the business successful, not can I just how can make my silo successful. They elevate your thinking. And I think, you know, one of the mistakes that a lot of leaders make, CS leaders, sales leaders, marketing leaders, when they go to the leadership table, they think they're there to represent their function. And I always say to people, no, your first job is to be a business leader. You do the right thing for business, even if your individual department loses at that point in time. Because you're a business leader first and you're a silo leader, I call it that second. I want to double click on what you just said about comp plans, which is potentially interesting. Having a shared comp plan is very attractive from an organizational design perspective because it gets everyone aligned around what matters, which is that customer's actual success, their outcomes, and whether or not they continue to use uh, use the product, engage with the company, and renew. The counter argument to this, of course, is that there will be inevitably very high performers on the team who are exceptional relative to others. And those people may likely 
feel like their compensation doesn't recognize the quality of the work that they're doing and the quality of their work being much higher than their peers. So how do you reconcile that difference where you know, top performers may feel like the comp plan doesn't recognize their work? This is, this is, the, this is the nuts and hammer question, right? What we're, what we're doing is saying, I've got a hammer, therefore everything's a nail. We've got more tools in our tool bag than just comp plans. So how, how would I reward high performers? I'd give them a higher base salary. I would use recognition in addition to reward to make them understand that you know, their contribution is valued. But I think one of the mistakes that we make in comp plans is we just think it's, it's the one tool that we've got. And by the way, all the research suggests that in terms of motivation to perform, it's probably the least effective we've got. Go and read Daniel Pink's work you know, on the importance of intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. And yet, because of this last century thinking, we're just, oh, no, no, we've got to have a comp plan. Sales have got to do this. Really? The research doesn't suggest that's the case. And, and that's interesting. What, what do you think about the idea, I've heard this before, where the comp plan or the, the commission structure for the team is a, some kind of a fixed percentage. So you can get up you know, between zero and 100% of your bonus. Everyone's bonus is slightly different. So maybe a top performer might have a, I'm gonna make up numbers, a $25,000 bonus, and a, a lower performer might have a $15,000 bonus. And the percentage, you know, whatever the percentage retention rate is for the company, that's what percentage of your bonus that you get. Thoughts on that, on structuring a commission plan that way? Is that a commission plan, Chris, or a comp plan? Yeah, good call. I guess I was calling out specifically commissions because I was thinking about customer success and sales, which tend to have, more frequently than not, tend to have a commission component to their overall compensation. If I was to build a SaaS company again, and it is in my mind, I would hire salespeople and I would not put them on commission. And for those of the, that have just shrieked and fallen off their chairs, there are companies that have been hugely successful that do this. So Plural Site, for example, does not pay sales commission. It doesn't have problem in growth. Culture Amp does not pay sales commission. It doesn't have problems in attracting salespeople or in growing. You know, we, we assume that common practice is best practice. I think that mistake we make too often. And we're not willing, you know, it takes a brave person to go and say, no, let's do something different. But it's the people that do something different that where progress comes from. Another quote, George Bernard Shaw said, along the lines of, you see something and say, why, I see something and say, why not? Therefore, all progress depends upon the unreasonable man. I'm a card-carrying, unreasonable person. Well, I, think I that's... spend my time asking why we do things. And if, we, if it's essential, why do we do them that way? Well, I think this is really fantastic food for thought for uh, both sales and success leaders who are building comp plans. You know, it's probably more difficult for someone who has an existing comp plan structure in place to make a big change like this, but certainly for people who are creating new functions within their success or sales teams, or maybe they're at a smaller company, they might be able to take risks like this on comp and look for other examples like you shared, Dave, of companies who, ha who have been able to pull off building up sales and success teams without having a commission structure. And, and there are people, I think Pluralsight did start out with commission plan and then scrapped them. Yeah. I think started out without them from the from the off. So, you know, it, I think both can work. Obviously, it's easier if you don't have that legacy. 
Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, you know, my wife works for Pluralsight and their sales team does have comp plans now. So at some point they switched from no comp plans back to comp plans, okay. which is kind of um, interesting. I'd be kind of curious to talk to Aaron, who's the, the CEO yeah. there about why they did that. Have you talked or written at all before about flat org structures? What do you mean by flat org structures, Chris? Just minimal levels of management. So it's, it's the org design where you intentionally do not have very many people in leadership or management positions. I don't think I've written anything specifically on that, but okay. uh, I think my tendency is towards minimizing that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think some of the more, it's interesting you said org structures rather than org design, because we, we, again, that's something we always fall back into. You know, it's like, we need to reorganize. Oh, let's, let's go sort out the lines and boxes. So, uh, you know, I think the more interesting examples of, of how people are thinking about organization are things like the, the product and engineering teams at Spotify, you know, where if you, if you go and look at what they do from an organization design, so they talk about chapters, guilds, and tribes. And effectively what it is, is a constant change of project teams. But they have these mechanisms that say, well, I'll, you know, I'll be responsible for your continuing developing your mentorship. And I'll be responsible for making sure that, you know, you're paying rations and, and, and that sort of thing are taken care of. And they split the whole thing up. And it's, it's a constantly refreshing approach. Well said, Dave. Every week on this podcast, you'll hear fresh ideas from some of the top leaders in customer success. So wherever you're listening right now, just go click the subscribe button and make sure you don't miss the next episode.